And uh, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn with us or uh, read from the screen, that'll be all right too. The subject this morning is the voice. And uh, as we read this scripture, I hope that you will understand why I chose that title for the message. Now, actually, when I started this two or three weeks ago, working on this sermon, uh, I had a different title. The title was, Cheer Up, God is Still on the Throne, which maybe I should have stuck with that, but we're, we're going to stay with the voice. And we're going to read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 9. And um, I apologize, I'm not a clicker person, so Robert's changing the slides, and if he can't keep up with me, that's his problem. Uh, but we're going to have a good time. So would you stand as we read this passage of Scripture from God's Word? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is eternal and unchanging. And it is the foundation upon which we build our faith. And so today I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts and help me as I try to expound and, and teach your word that you would just make it real and come alive to us today. That we might leave this place today committed and determined to serve you all the days of our life. Thank you. We love you. And we pray that you would bless in this service in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, I'm going to give a little introduction. Uh, actually, I should have let Brother Dr. Woodworth do this, uh, this historical part of it, but I'm going to do my best uh, and give some background 
uh, to this. Now, the book of Isaiah uh, is written in the first uh, chapter 1 through 39 uh, is basically more judgment and condemnation. There's some good news in there, uh, some prophecies about the incarnation and so forth, but basically it's judgment and condemnation against the nations. And, but chapter 40 through 66 is a complete reversal. It's words of comfort, words of hope, or words of uh, salvation and so forth. And so uh, there's so much difference between the first half of the book of uh, Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, and the last half, chapters 40 through 66, that a lot of people say there are two authors, not just one. That uh, somebody other than Isaiah wrote that last half of the book. But I'm going to stick with Isaiah. I believe that Isaiah is the author of both halves of the book, first and last, and that uh, God was the one, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. And so we're starting today with Isaiah chapter 40. And um, just to give you a little bit of background uh, from this uh, chapter, um, <clears throat> The, at the time that Isaiah wrote this, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah had been a vassal state to Assyria ever since the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel, which happened in 722 <coughs> B.C. And when Hezekiah came to the throne, however, he rebelled and refused to pay tribute to the king of Assyria. And uh, Isaiah the prophet, he supported Isaiah, uh, he supported Hezekiah in uh, that stand of not paying tribute because Isaiah's uh, message always was, put your trust in Yahweh, our God, because God will take care of us, God will lead us, God will protect us, God will provide for us. But Hezekiah had another problem. He had these advisors and these advisors that said, no, we got to tr uh, have alliance with Egypt. You see, Egypt was the other superpower down in the south. And Assyria was the superpower in the north. And so Hezekiah's advisors said, hey, let's make an alliance with Egypt. Well, this didn't sit well with King Sennacherib of Assyria. And so when Hezekiah made alliances with Egypt, then Sennacherib brought his army north, or south actually, south, uh, and he had a huge army, and he had a two-pronged attack. The first side uh, group of Sennacherib's army uh, went south and cut off the Egyptian army from coming to Hezekiah's aid. The second group of Sennacherib's army, uh, he sent uh, to Jerusalem, surrounded the capital of Jerusalem, and was threatening Jerusalem. But we know that uh, finally, King Hezekiah woke up. He decided finally to go and put his trust in God. So he went in and, and 
the, the, the letter from the king of Sennacherib, he laid it out before God and he said, God, what are we going to do? And finally, Hezekiah brought the message to Hezekiah that uh, God was going to deliver them. And we all know the story how uh, the angel of the Lord came in the middle of the night and uh, killed 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. And uh, so the next day, King Sennacherib took his army and he went back to Assyria. And uh, so that was the end of Sennacherib because after he got back uh, in his capital city of Nineveh, uh, two of his sons assassinated him while he was worshiping his God in the temple. And so uh, we come now to our scripture today and the first point for the sermon today, and I, I'm probably not going to get to all of these points, but uh, the first point is the voice of comfort. Verse 1 said, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Now, the, the question comes, why did God need to give them this word of comfort? Well, if we go back to chapter 39 of Isaiah, and read verses 5 through 7. This was Isaiah's word from God to King Hezekiah. He said, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall, <clears throat> shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. <clears throat> now, you can imagine that <clears throat> the people of Israel, when they heard this prophecy that God had given through Isaiah, that they were going to be taken into exile. Now, this prophecy was made a hundred years before the exile actually happened before Babylon actually came and defeated them and took in three different uh, periods of time. I think um, 605, 597, 586 B.C., three different uh, periods when the exiles were taken uh, into Babylon. And uh, <clears throat> so this, the... the response of God's people had to be, they were in shock. They were uh, in disbelief. They, they couldn't understand why God was letting this happen. And I'm sure they asked the question, what about God's promises that he made through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and through David, and through others? And, uh, and uh, God now is saying he's going to abandon us. He's going to uh, let us be taken into captivity. What about God's covenant that he made with his chosen people, Israel? But, uh, and then what about the promised land? The land of Canaan was the promised land that God had promised Abraham. If we go over and read Genesis chapter 15, there that beautiful passage about how God established a covenant with Abraham and he had promised that 
that land would be given to him and his descendants forever. But now they were being taken into exile. The reality of the situation was that the prophecy that Isaiah gave, that Jeremiah gave, that they would be taken into captivity for 70 years was because of their rebellion, because of their sin against God. And uh, so uh, after Isaiah made this prophecy 100 years later, the Babylonians came, they defeated the, the southern kingdom of Judah, and uh, they took them captive. Now, <clears throat> if you understand the mindset of the people of that time, uh, when nations went to war against one another, they had each nation had the gods that they worshipped. And when one nation defeated the other, it was basically saying, my God has defeated your God. And this was what the mindset of the people of that day was, that the gods of the Babylonians had been greater and more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Judah. And so the question comes, was the Israelites' sin more than God could handle? Was God actually defeated? Had Yahweh abandoned his people? And then if we fast forward to today, now the question comes to me, is there any practical application of these scriptures for us today that God gave through Isaiah to Hezekiah and the people of Judah back in those ancient times? And I believe, yes, we can apply them to us today uh, because all of us at one time or another in our lives face tragedy, we face defeat, we face uh, hurt, sickness, and so forth, many things. And um, so Isaiah chapter 40 answers three questions that I believe the people of Judah back in those days when they were defeated and carried into exile Three questions that they must have been asking themselves and asking God. First question, does God want to deliver us? Second question, can he deliver us? Is God able, if we're taken into captivity and we're going to be there 70 years, is God able to deliver us? And then finally, will he deliver us? Well, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 is God's emphatic answer to his people, his chosen people. Even though they had sinned, they had rebelled, they had forsaken him, and yet he sent them into exile to discipline them, to bring them back to a relationship with him. And so today I believe these words can apply to us as well. Comfort my people when we face defeat 
in whatever area of our lives that God is always there for us. God never abandons his people, his children. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we have that promise, that claim from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our God is the God of all comfort. And this word comfort uh, means more than just that warm, fuzzy feeling that uh, we may think of when we talk about comforting people here in, in, in America. But it, it, it means words of strength, words of encouragement, words of hope, words of promise that God is given to his people. So God is the God of all comfort. Psalm chapter 23, Psalm 23, verse 4. We know this verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. So one of God's great ministries to each of us is he gives comfort. He brings comfort to us. As we stay in his word, as we stay in prayer to him, we stay in trust to him knowing that he is always with us. Then I think of that scripture over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And uh, listen to this passage on comfort. And how many times the word comfort is used in these two verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul said he's the God of all comfort. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but in my library I have a book by Hannah Whitehall Smith that's titled The God of All Comfort. And uh, her purpose was to let us know that this God that we believe in and that we serve and that we follow is the God of all comfort. He's the one who comes to us. In fact, the, the word uh, for the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John is the same root word that comes from this word comfort, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and that Jesus Christ, when he left this earth, he sent him to come to stand alongside us, to comfort us, to give us the strength and the help that we need. No matter what the situation, it may be a health crisis where we feel like we're at the end of our rope. But God is there to comfort us. It may be problems at work. Uh, problems with our boss, problems with uh, whatever situation may be there, problems of depression that, that come to different people. You know, I've known pastors that were successful and blessed of God in their ministry, but they had a problem with depression and uh, resulted in their taking their own life, which is sad because God is the God of all comfort, no matter what our situation. 
And um, so I pray that today we will learn that lesson that God is the God of all comfort. So point number one, God is the voice of comfort. Point number two, the voice of pardon. And in um, uh, our scripture today, he said, uh, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So this is the word for pardon, the voice of pardon. Why did Israel need pardon? Well, God had established a covenant with them. They were his chosen people. He had established that covenant that they would obey his law, that they would be loyal and faithful to him, that they would not worship other gods, that they would not participate in the sinful activities of the nations surrounding them. And they broke all of those laws. They worshiped foreign gods and uh, they involved themselves in the terrible types of sinful activity that those gods taught. So God's declaration of pardon for Israel, that her pardon, that her iniquity is pardoned. Now Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament that I believe contains so much of the gospel. And uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. You may know this by heart. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so you and I, and ancient Israel had that stain of sin, and yet God says, come to me. I will cleanse you. I will forgive you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, another one of those great chapters in the book of Isaiah. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon so this is God's declaration of pardon for Israel. And Isaiah wanted to just drive that point home. God wants to forgive you. God wants to bring you back. God will bring you back from Babylonian captivity and he will reestablish his covenant with you. And then as, as we read this passage of scripture, we, get, we see God's picture of pardon. In verse 2, it says, For she has received, she being the nation of Judah, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that seems a little bit strange, that God is going to give them a double penalty, a double payment for their sins. Does this mean that God made them pay for their sins twice? Well, God is the God of mercy. And so I, I, I don't think God 
just keeps punishing us over and over for our sins. He is consistent. So what does this mean when it says he has, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins? And some of the commentaries that I read said this, that it was an Eastern custom that if a man owed a debt he could not pay, his creditor would write the amount of the debt on a paper and nail it to the front door of the man's house so that everyone passing by his house would know that he was a man who had not paid his debts. But if someone paid the debt for him, then the creditor would double the paper over and nail it to the door as a testimony that the debt had been fully paid. And this was God's way of announcing to Israel and to us today that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Messiah and our Savior, that our debt has been fully paid. And so that is a vivid picture of God covering our sins with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, washing us so that we will never have to stand in judgment before him. Now, I think that we need to fast forward this from Isaiah's day to our day today. Because this teaching, this doctrine of God's pardon and God's forgiveness is something that all of us, every child of God, every person needs to know about, needs to understand. And so first of all, and this is, may sound like a broken record to you, but our, our need for pardon. Why do we need to be pardoned or forgiven by God? Well, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 verse A says, The wages of sin is death. James chapter 2 verse 10, Brother Robert has been uh, preaching from the book of James and he's mentioned this scripture. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And so this is the reality that every person on the face of planet earth has committed sin. And if we have broken one law, if we have committed one sin, we are guilty of breaking the whole law. And we stand before God condemned to eternally be separated from God as the scripture teaches. But the wonderful thing about it is that even as in Isaiah's day, how God taught that he forgave the sin of Judah, his chosen people, today God wants you and me to know that we have received a full pardon, full forgiveness for our sins. Let me just read Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 
It says, in you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, he says, having forgiven you, all trespasses. Now this verb, having forgiven you, in the Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in, is in the aorist tense, which means it's past tense. But the aorist tense means that it's something that happened in a point of time in the past. When I believed in Jesus, received him as my Savior, that at that time, God forgave all my sins. Paul said, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's the wonderful truth and reality that you and I as Christians, and you know, this is one of the the problems uh, that a lot of Christians have. We have besetting sins in our lives and we let the devil keep beating us over the head with those sins and accusing us before God so that we feel guilty and we never have that ability to feel totally free of sin and guilt. But uh, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, He forgave us all our sins. That means past sins, present sins, future sins. God has forgiven us. And we need to learn to understand that. Now this certainly does not mean that we, as we live daily for the Lord and we commit sins and we know we've committed sin, we confess those sins to the Lord and he will forgive us and those sins will be rolled back and covered by the blood of Jesus. But another thing here in this word, he he speaks about having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, I had a slide I meant to put in that showed three crosses and one of them with Jesus hanging on the cross. And when he was hanging on that cross, above the cross, it said, forgiven. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross so that he could deal with all of your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. And uh, so that is what Jesus came into the world for, to die for our sins. And so he speaks here about having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. The handwriting here uh, means an autograph. It's a technical use of the word in the Greek language, which was a handwritten note of a debtor acknowledging his indebtedness to someone else. It literally was an IOU. So what Jesus was doing, he was fulfilling that IOU that we had made to God. 
we owed God that debt of sin. And Jesus paid the debt for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, the, the Bible is so full of many scriptures. Let me just read you a few scriptures that talk about the blessed pardon and forgiveness of God. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then Hebrews chapter, nine, chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. What a blessed, blessed truth that is. That all of my sins, which are so ugly and so bad and so dark, and yet God forgives them. And they're cast as far as the east is from the west. They're cast as far behind the back of God, never to be remembered again. Point number three. Not only the voice of comfort, but the voice of preparation. The voice of preparation. Verses 3 and 4 give us some interesting verses here. It says, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. <clears throat> now, what do you think about when you read those scriptures? <clears throat> well, of course, we, we know that um, this is a prophecy of John the Baptist who was the forerunner for Jesus Christ, who was the one who would come and prepare the way for Jesus coming into the world so that he could die on the cross for our sins and be our Savior. But these verses, I believe, give us some insight that, that God from eternity was preparing the way of salvation for lost humanity. And he was going to do whatever it took to make the road open and smooth for you and for me so that we could receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and be saved by his marvelous grace. And so as I read these, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain shall be and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places made smooth. Well, <clears throat> last week, Brother Robert showed us that video of R.G. Letourneau and uh, all of the 
huge dirt moving machines that he manufactured and invented. Well, God is the chief engineer and the chief architect for this highway from earth to heaven, the highway of salvation that opens up the way for you and for me to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, <clears throat> I've got a double first cousin lives over in Fort Worth in uh, actually, well, Edgecliff Village. And um, his name is Ronnie Turner. Uh, he's about a year and a half younger than I am. He was one of these that went to Texas A&M and majored in civil engineering. <clears throat> After he, sorry about that. <clears throat> After he got out of uh, college, somebody's going to come to my rescue here. <clears throat> After Ronnie got out of college, <clears throat> he went to work for the Army Corps of Engineers. <clears throat> and um, over these years since we retired from missionaries in Taiwan, I've had privilege to ride with Ronnie around the Dallas-Fort Worth area and down south toward San Marcos and so forth. And as we're riding along down I-35, Ronnie would say, I was the one who designed this section of road or going down to Jopu Lake. He said, I was involved in the design of Jopu Lake. Well, that was good. But even better, when I read this scripture here in Isaiah chapter 40, how God is the engineer who was going to remove, straighten all the crooked roads. You know, you folks need to go to West Texas. You want to get a straight road out there west of Anson? Uh, I'm sorry, east of Anson. Uh, there's this long stretch, mile after mile, just as straight as an arrow. Well, that's what the chief engineer did. He straightened out the curves in the road. He brought the mountains and the hills low, filled in the valleys, made it possible for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to come into the world, to live a perfect and sinless life, and to die on the cross for our sins. So, the chief engineer, the architect, made it all possible. And so, as I consider this, the preparation for the Messiah, God opened up the way by providing the Roman Empire. Why was this important? Well, because the Roman Empire was the human political entity that God used to prepare the world for the birth of the Messiah and for the spread of the gospel throughout the world. One of the priorities of the Roman Empire was peace, 
which it accomplished with an iron hand. It was called the Pax Romana. I'm not probably not pronouncing that right. The Peace of Rome, which guaranteed that people could live and travel within the Roman Empire in relative safety. Roads were constructed that made travel much easier. The Apostle Paul traveled all over the Roman Empire on Roman roads and shared the gospel with diverse groups of Gentiles. And uh, we've had the privilege for a few months now, as Dr. Woodworth has taught on the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And that was all possible because of the Roman Empire and because God made it possible for Paul to be a Roman citizen. And his Roman citizenship allowed him to move about the empire more freely and provided him with an additional measure of protection that he would not otherwise have had. But not only Paul, but many other Christians spread out all over the Roman Empire, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so that was part of God's preparation for the gospel to be sent to all the world because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But the second th miraculous thing was the Greek language. You see, the gospel had to be written down. It had to be written down by God's Holy Spirit as he inspired the, the apostles and the different ones to write it down. Now, God planned to use the Greek language. Why was this important? Well, uh, Alexander the Great preceded the Roman Empire. Alexander the Great was obsessed with everything Greek. He loved the Greek culture. He loved the Greek language. And so everywhere Alexander's armies went, he took Greek language and Greek culture so that by the time of the, uh, the Apostle Paul, Greek culture and language was spread all over the Roman Empire, which made it uniquely possible for them to spread the gospel in the language wherever they went in the Roman Empire. And, and God blessed in that way, in, in such a wonderful way. So Greek became the common language, which was an important part of God's preparation plan. You know, you know and I, I was just thinking, I was preparing this sermon. It would have been disaster if <clears throat> they had tried to use the Chinese language to spread the gospel. Because, you know, wow, no alphabet, just 5,000 individual characters and everyone's different and so forth. But God chose the Greek language so that the world would have the gospel of Jesus Christ and be able to receive that wonderful eternal life that God has provided for us. Then there's the voice of the messenger. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We know that this is the man, John the Baptist. We know the message that he came to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We know that the ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus coming into the world. To prepare the hearts of many of the people there in the southern kingdom of Judah and in, in, uh, in Israel for the reception of Jesus as Messiah. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus was. And John was the forerunner of this superhighway that God has prepared to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. And that superhighway still goes on as God's servants go to all the ends of the earth. Um, this last week, I was, I called, I was talking to uh, Mrs. Charlotte Johnson, who's the wife of the pastor of the Rose, Rose Hill Baptist, is it Rose Hill or Rosewood? Rosewood Baptist Church in Gilmer, Texas. And she's the president of our national women's organization called the Women's Missionary Auxiliary. They exist for one purpose. That is to get the gospel out to the lost world. And she told me that uh, they were leaving this last Wednesday to go down to El Salvador because they have these shoe boxes that they prepare to hand out to children in these different countries. And they were going to El Salvador so that they could pass out the shoe boxes to them. Well, the shoe boxes is just another way of getting people to come in so they can hear the good news of the story of Jesus Christ. I remember when we first went to Taiwan uh, and uh, we moved to Taichung in the 1963 after we had graduated from language school. And uh, we discovered that back then, uh, Taiwan was just another one of those third world countries. They didn't have a lot of the convenient, no television and so forth, and, and kids were starved for anything. And so we would have people here after Christmas and the holidays to send us their old Christmas cards. And you could just stand and hand them and you could have a big crowd of kids. And uh, they're wanting these used Christmas cards. Well, God wants us to use any means that we can to get the gospel message out to a lost and dying world. And... Um, in our denomination, Baptist Missionary Association of America, um, February is World Missions Month. And uh, February the 27th is World Missions Sunday. And uh, I would like for us at least to have a special prayer uh, during that, this time for these missionaries, and I would like, uh, I, you, you know these computers for people like me, you, you stumble on things 
sometimes that are really good. Uh, and I stumbled on something really good. Um, and I don't even know how I got there, which is usually the case. But I stumbled on a video. Our National Missions Department has a, um, well, it's a quarterly now, a quarterly missions magazine called Mission World. But they now have Mission World TV. And uh, every month they have a new video of missions somewhere in the world. And yesterday I stumbled on this video of Brother Rama from Myanmar. And Barbara and I have had the privilege of being in Myanmar. Used to be called Burma. And we have had the privilege of being in the home of Brother Rama and his wife and their children. And uh, this video was Brother Rama telling about his mission work there in Burma. What a blessing it was to see what God is doing through Brother Rama. And I'm praying that I can convince Brother Robert to figure out how to get that video so we can watch it next week. I think you will be greatly blessed by it to, 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 to see what God is doing in what is a very poor third world country that needs the gospel more than anything else. That God would know that his messenger, John the Baptist, fulfilled his, his ministry. But we today still have a ministry that God wants to give to us. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So may God help us. May we stand together as we sing a hymn of invitation.